It was a terrible day, and we were traveling through the dreariest part of our great and glorious republic, which on that particular morning was neither great nor glorious, but looked drab enough to suggest some circle that had apparently been overlooked when Dante gave us his descriptions of the nether regions. A few minutes before, the train had come to a halt. I don't know why, nobody knew why, and nobody cared. The slush and rain would be just as bad a mile hence or a hundred miles hence. The fields with their desolate burden of brown, decaying corn stalks would present just as eloquent a picture of despair one mile farther along the road as a hundred or maybe a thousand. Some two hundred yards away from the track there stood a house, a very plain and ordinary house. It needed paint, but so did all the farmhouses we had seen during the past twenty-four hours. It also needed repairs. It had apparently been built by a carpenter who must have hated beauty as a deacon is supposed to hate sin, and with very much the same results. Out of that farmhouse came two small children, a boy and a girl. They may have been twelve, and then again they may have been fourteen. It's hard to tell. They wore hideous woolen caps and mufflers, red woolen caps and mufflers and red woolen gloves, knit coarsely and carelessly, so carelessly and coarsely that even at a distance one could notice how little love had been worked into those garments. I dare say that they were practical and that they kept out the cold, but at no greater cost and with very little extra trouble, they could just as well have been made pleasant to the eye. The little boy and the little girl came slithering through the slush, and then they stopped in the road to gaze at our train. That train was a thing of mystery to them. It was their only link with a world wherein people ate their griddle cakes from tables with small pink shaded lamps, wherein women wore dresses made of all sorts of gaily colored materials wherein men would sit and pleasantly idle away an hour or so discussing a play or a book, a world, therefore, wherein everything had not been ruthlessly sacrificed to the idea of utility. For all I knew, those two children would never see that wonder world with their own eyes, yet, and on the other hand, and then again, a miracle might happen, and that train might fill their hearts with a holy curiosity for all those things that make life beautiful and charming and interesting, that at some time in the near or distant future, they would definitely break away from the hideous place they called home, from the unnecessary ugliness of their hopeless surroundings, and go forth in search of something better and nobler, and infinitely more satisfying to the soul. Excerpts from The Arts, written and illustrated by Hendrik Willem van Loon. Welcome back to Bright Hearth. I'm Brian Sauvé, and here as usual with my lovely bride, Lexi Sauvé. How are you doing, babe? Good. Doing How well? Are you? I'm doing well. Kids. You can just see your mustache going up <laughs> can you? the microphone. Yeah, it's funny. We're talking about arts today, so it's, it's, it's actually fitting that something so beautiful it's would be handsome. in your presence, this mustache. <laughs> well, welcome back, everybody. We're glad you're still with us. Actually, as we record today, I know this is like episode five, I think, but this is actually, we're recording on the day that we launched the podcast. So uh, we have just welcomed our first new patrons to our Patreon, and if that's one of you, if you're there in our Patreon by now, thanks for joining us. Thanks for helping us to make this podcast possible, helping actually to basically pay for our babysitter every time that we do this. Um, we are thankful that you're here, and if you haven't jumped on there, you can uh, get all sorts of uh, there. There, there's actually several benefits that you get from joining our Patreon. Number one. We give you a bonus show with each one where we actually give you lots of resources that we mention here in the podcast. We'll sometimes give lists of those with links to make it easier for you to find them. We do a show uh, every time that's very practical and just for patrons there on Patreon. We also give out with some of our tiers things like our Feed the Patriarchy mug or t-shirt. So check that out if you haven't already. Well, today we are moving from the bedroom where we've spent most of our time this season into the living room. And uh, in the living room, we're going to spend likely about three episodes here. And in this first episode, we're planning to talk about the necessity of beauty in the home. So looking at the homemaker's role in curating an environment of beauty in the home. Then uh, in the next episode, we'll talk about the education of children, since the living room is often the battleground where education takes place on couches and armchairs and coffee tables. And then finally, in the third episode in this room, we'll talk about entertainment, standards for entertainment, reading, catechism, all sorts of stuff related to that. So arts, beauty, that's what we're talking about today. And this is probably not a topic that, that most people, I, I think, would have expected us to cover or that would make the top 10 lists when it comes to the arts and disciplines of homemaking. Most people think like canning 
or or you know, even when you're thinking of homesteading, you're not thinking of beautiful art necessarily as a skill to recover. Yeah, right. Because yeah. and actually, this is one of the reasons we think it's important to discover and or to cover and discuss because yeah. One of the reasons it doesn't come to mind is because it is a real lost art. Yeah. It actually has been lost. And it's been replaced by all sorts of consuming activity where people are basically given like canned art to consume, canned ideas of what a beautiful room ought to look like, basically from HGTV and a lot of like cheap mass manufactured beauty that actually mm. removes the skill of the homemaker in many ways. Yeah. Uh, and puts like a modern veneer over things, but doesn't actually properly mm -hmm. engage the soul in many ways. So um, we, we're saying the pursuit of beauty isn't optional in the Christian home. What do we mean by that? And, and why do we think that's true? Well, I just, I think in terms of like, what are we trying to produce in our household? We're trying to produce people that have an eye for truth, goodness, and beauty. And so that requires them to see things that are true, good, and beautiful. Um, and this kind of just used to be the way everybody became cultured was we were more surrounded by beautiful art and beautiful architecture than we are today. Um, and so now we have to like try even harder to do that. So I, I think that's part of why it's just not optional is Christians need to understand that if we are to, part of, re, part of reflecting Christ includes reflecting the fact that living according to his ways is beautiful. And for the homemaker, that has to do with very practical details of how you set up your house. Mm, very true. Does that makes sense? Yeah, and even just thinking about the cold open there that we did with that short yeah. story of those children and uh, the, the, the little snippet that the, the author was recounting of his own experience, mm -hmm. just um, of, the, I think it drew out the fact that something that, that we all know but we don't always have a vocabulary for, yeah. which is that there's something deeply human about beauty, mm -hmm. about seeing. There's something that is displayed about the image of God yeah. in, in whenever you see human beings caring about things like beauty. Well, I was also going to say like the first pieces, some of the first, we're not talking about like prehistoric art in caves, but some of the first actual like paintings that could be moved around, I guess you could say, were Madonna's. And it was because early Christians were the ones actually creating art. Like this is, this really is something Christians ought to own and recover again. Yeah. Instead of, you know, exporting out to Target. Yeah, absolutely. Think about, think about it like this. I mean, do squirrels produce art? No. <laughs> yeah, that's. No, do, do porpoises have like underwater sculpture that they're engaging in? No. Um, human beings do. Yeah. There, there's something that is peculiar about human beings as image bearers of God, where there's an urge for human beings to create, mm. to be affected by the spaces that they're in. Mm -hmm. think, think about this. If you were to see, if you were to see a, a picture or a painting or a photograph of two scenes, one where students were clearly like elementary age students seated in a room and the room had a concrete floor and cinder block walls and they were standing in front. They were all dressed in like white lab coats and they were all staring uniformly at, to the front of the classroom where a stern-looking teacher was, you know, declaiming on some topic. Mm -hmm. And then you can picture, there's a painting that, that we have, we have a, a print of it in our home. That, oh, yeah. That I love to look at, because it's, I, I, I don't know the if you actually... The teacher in the schoolroom? Is that the name of it? The, the one that's hanging about the piano? Exactly, yeah, yeah. I put it there for that reason. Yes, I don't, I didn't even ever tell Lexi this, we haven't talked about this, but I love that painting. I look at it all the time, because it's a picture of like a... Uh, a, a teacher, this woman who's teaching in school and she's got little kids mm -hmm. clearly squirming around <laughs> and there's light coming in a window and a wood floor. And it's not, it's not like a cathedral, but it's, it's like a schoolroom, yeah. an yeah. old schoolroom. There is a cathedral though. I have, I have, and the, you also have the cathedral all there. those three paintings there because there's, there is the farmhouse, there's the cathedral yeah. and there's the schoolroom, which is what our, our household is. Yeah. And it's, it's like those three things. Mm, that's good. So it's like, what would you want? Which environment would you rather learn in the cinder yeah. block? Or would you rather learn in even just an old wood, creaky wood floor, old one room schoolhouse with sun coming in the window? And Does this mean I 
you're going to repent by giving me terracotta tiles for our house? <laughs> it's it's less about repentance than <laughs> it is kidding. about. I'm just If kidding. we get an, you know what, patrons, if you sign up, all of you today, 6,000 of you, then <laughs> no, I will get Lexi no. terracotta. <laughs> just kidding. I still don't know if I want to commit to that, but. Yeah, we'll see. We we have concrete floors right now. And neither of us <laughs> like them. Like we're hoping one day we'll, we'll fix that. Some but of learning this house, for me has like, been a form of repentance absolute. from absolute minimalism. You know, yeah, it's like a worldview. Austere. Yeah modernism and minimalism okay so you're talking about the open with the efficiency and stuff and he he later in that book brings up a really good point about arts and crafts we Uh forget like when we think crafts we think grandma sitting and you know tatting or knitting but really the reason like i think we forget how boring life really used to be um wendell berry talks about this a lot too but they they were so desperate for anything beautiful. So they were willing to take more time during their menial tasks to make it more beautiful. And we just want to rush, 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 rush through everything. And we're not taking the time to, to be interested in the details of life. Yeah. But the ironic part is most of us hate our lives. Not, I mean, not us, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I, I in know general. what you mean. Yeah, we have yeah. so many things handed to us. There's so much ease and yeah. comfort in our lives yeah. and so much affluence in our mm-hmm. lives that it, like when you think about decorating your home, most people they think about purchasing decoration in a can, decoration in a box. And they can literally drive 10 minutes from their house. Pick it all up. Get it all up. Bring it home. Bring it home, stick it on their wall, and they're done. Yeah. Right? And there wasn't much thought. No one had to make anything in in there. They didn't have to actually know an artist. They didn't actually have to know anything about art They didn't have to humble themselves as a student and learn from somebody, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they just went and picked it all up and put it in their home. And, you know, when you think about it, beauty... And, and your vision of beauty actually says something about what you believe about the world, about God. It, it demonstrates your worldview mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Like we, we've watched that Roger Scrutton Oh my goodness, yes. Documentary. Yeah. I think it's called The I Art of... I think it's What is Beauty, isn't it? Yes. I think What is Beauty mm-hmm. is right. What is Beauty? Yeah. And he goes through and he, he looks at modern art and he liked the urinal, <laughs> the famous urinal example. It was uh, that so... That was an art installation He of does a such a good job at showing how ridiculous modern artists you and i were literally laughing crying i think oh yeah it was so good it was absurd (laughs) Uh, even think about something like brutalist architecture modern architecture and brutalist architecture that's all concrete and glass and Mm -hmm. and sharp edges and it's very inorganic looking it's not hospitable well and francis schaefer says part of the problem with abstract art you're saying art art is saying something it's communicating something art says something and we would argue there is such thing as an objective standard for what makes a piece of art good or bad. Correct. <laughs> now, Francis Schaeffer says part of why abstract art does not work well in the Christian worldview is because by nature it's abstract. There's no language yeah. that they're agreeing upon to communicate something to the viewer. And I thought that yeah. was a really good point is if the artist has no idea what they're looking at, yeah. then how can they communicate what beauty is. Yeah. There was an architect, I think, um, not long ago. I can't remember who said this. It was someone like Francis Schaefer or, or some public intellectual was retelling this interaction that they had had with an architect who was a famous architect who had built this modern building. And he was explaining how he'd thrown out all the rules of architecture. And, <laughs> you know, you know all of this heavyweight of tradition that had been crushing the creative spirit, which is actually nonsense, by the way. The creative spirit... Uh, actually depends on a living tradition. It's not crushed by tradition. But he was talking about how they'd thrown out all the rules and this this person, this public intellectual, whoever they were, their rejoinder was something like, I bet you still used math. <laughs> I bet the engineers didn't throw out all the rule books mm-hmm. when they built the foundation. Like even in their attempts to escape, yeah. and that's what it is. It's, it's an, a human antinomianism against the law it's a human rejection of a law-giving God who is himself the standard of good, goodness, truth, and beauty. So in our rejection of him, we want to reject any standard for anything. Yeah. And, and so we view it as oppressive and we say, no, mm-hmm. let's get rid of that and let's just freestyle. <laughs> and, and, and so it's not neutral. Like people think art is just neutral. It's a matter yeah. of mere preference. Um, but, you know, C.S. Lewis, for another example, he talked about how the one of the reasons that that bad fiction, like bad novels, were so popular was that people had a taste for badness. It, they, it wasn't that, okay, the people have voted. Actually, bad, bad fictional books are, are good because all, more people like them than not. 
He was like, no, they were all wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't matter how many of them agreed that it's good. They need to be trained. Their loves yeah. are improper. Yeah, Hobby Lobby is definitely dumbing us down in that way. It, ooh. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Hobby Lobby in a minute. So, so the pursuit of beauty isn't optional in the Christian home. Agree or not if, if, with this sentence. It's, it's not optional because God himself is beautiful. He made humans in his image to desire and care for beauty in a unique way in his creation. Men were made to cultivate that creation in the image of God, which requires beauty. And so beauty is not optional. Correct. Right? That's what yeah. we're saying? If, if you're a woman in your home and you're doing your job of taking dominion as a homemaker, your home will be beautiful. Yes, it, it will be growing in beauty and it will be a human beauty. On the other hand, we've talked about how the home is, is not a museum. Like that the beauty is for the people. So what do, what do we mean by that? What, is that? what ditch are we talking about there? Um, like the plastic couch. Is that, oh, is that what, what you're a, talking yes, about? Yes, the N.D. Wilson. Is yes. that what you're talking about? Yes, okay. tell, explain that. That's well, good. just like old people, you know, they get a bunch of fancy furniture and then they want to wrap it in plastic and they don't want you to touch it. <laughs> yeah, have you ever actually been in one of these houses? Where, I have. Me too. <laughs> yeah, where, where someone got the new couch and they put clear plastic over it. And they're like, why is there plastic on the couch? It makes the couch very uncomfortable to sit on. <laughs> well, to protect uh, the couch. To protect the couch from what? From people sitting on it. Yeah. Well, then why do you have a couch? <laughs> Andy Wilson talked about mm. this in Grace Agenda last year in 2021. I don't remember that. Yeah, it was, it was like hilarious. Stuff, but... In true Andy Wilson fashion, it was hilarious. Yeah, we just, like the whole point of the art, like we've already said, I guess I'm thinking about this in terms of paideia. Like what you're looking at in your home what you're sitting on, what's making you feel cozy, what the atmosphere is like, what you're smelling, what you're seeing, and what you're hearing, um, that is educating you towards the heavenly kingdom or the worldly-based mm. evil kingdom. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and in that, like part of what, you, what, what you're saying about how you pursue art and beauty in the house is how you teach the people to inter- interact with it. If you make your house, like if a, if a homemaking mama begins to pursue beauty, but then she, she actually ends up like she puts paintings everywhere and she, <laughs> she takes Lexi's advice and she really studies this and mm-hmm. figures it out. But then a subtle shift in the home happens and all mm-hmm. of a sudden the kids aren't allowed in the house anymore because yeah. it's a museum. <laughs> yeah, I do have, I told you that I, I bought that Victorian, it's a framed Victorian pillowcase with hand woven silk threads uh-huh. that I'm just terrified Cyril's going to find He's gonna find because it. I haven't been able to hang it up yet. But I've been thinking about that in my head. Like even when I bought it, I was thinking like, you can't, you can't freak out if this frame That's from the right. 1800s breaks. You can't do that. Yeah. Lexi. <laughs> I, I've gotten Lexi so some oil yourself. paintings <laughs> recently. And one of them's from the 1890s. And uh, yeah, I thought I had to coach myself through the same thing. Yeah. If Ira or Cyril yeah. or Daphne in, you know, trying to be helpful, mm-hmm. you know, little homemaking Daphne, <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to dust and help. And she starts dusting the painting on the wall and it falls down and the breaks that 130 year old frame. Daddy can't mm-hmm. do what I've did Well, yesterday, and maybe literally. we'll talk about this a little bit later, but as you do train your eye, the cool thing about this that I found is when you're walking through thrift stores, you can find real pieces of art that other people aren't going to pick up on because they're not studying this like you are. So you can find really affordable stuff that it's like, you know what? Like that vase. I found an ironstone vase, um, $40 vase, found it for seven bucks. Yeah. If it gets knocked over, I don't really care, you You're know? Gonna, so, but yeah. that was because I had spent time studying this and I was able to notice it. Yeah, you saw it on the shelf. On you a shelf what of it was. junk, yeah. So the home's not a museum. When we're pursuing beauty, we're not talking about, uh, you want your home to be a garden of yes, mm-hmm. as the yeah. saying goes. So yep. when your kids are in the home, you're trying to remove as many things that you would have to say, hey, no, stop doing that yeah. as possible yeah. to facilitate mm-hmm. their ease and obe- obeying. Mm-hmm. And particularly as you have younger children, mm-hmm. this is very important. So yeah. as you have older children, you can relax some of that a little bit, but then you're going to get to grandkids, Lord willing. And then you're mm-hmm. going to have to go back all over again yeah. and make sure your home is ready for grandkids. Um, the home's not a museum. Yeah. So. Lexi, you've spent a lot of time and energy recently studying this subject, like the historic tradition of art, decor, architecture. Why is that? Like of all of the things that you could be studying as a homemaker, why is it that you have devoted so much time to art? Well, I've always, I, I've always loved like art and natural history. I wanted to get married at Pittsburgh Art Natural History Did Museum, but obviously that didn't work okay, out. Okay, I can't. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but I realized as I got older. I realized I had basically drifted into the minimalism worldview 
the modernism worldview. Um, and, you know, we've said this before, you and I have both said this other places, we would have built our house completely differently. Oh, sure. Had yeah. we known some of this worldview yeah. stuff. Um, and so once we did move into our modern home, I realized, well, shoot, I've got to figure out how to make this cozy, atmospheric, but I also want to learn from the greats before me. I have no idea how to do this because before that, um, our first home was tiny enough that it was totally easy to decorate. Yeah. Our second home was historic and you gorgeous. One, one wall hanging. Correct. Because that was the only, that was all the space <laughs> we had. And then everything else was bookshelves. Or and it always felt cozy and it always felt. <laughs> yeah. I guess we did have a bunk bed. It, it was like <laughs> you also needed one, one pot because that's yeah. how much space you had on the counter. You could fit one pot. But, but then our second house was a historic home that was dropped dead gorgeous and I didn't need to do very much to it. So then I move into a completely in a bad way yeah. blank slate and I have no clue what to do. But here I finally have convictions about what I should do, but no way to know how to do it. So I, yeah. So a couple years ago, I just really started realizing I need to like lean into the hard study of like, I wanted to get into the mind of the medieval Christians and mm -hmm. why they made art the way they did and all yeah. of that. So, um, yeah. D have we talked a little bit about the consumer stuff versus producing? Did you? No, no, we haven't. And feel free. Well, that was, I you don't, mentioned it, I don't but. know what you wanted to say about it specifically. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was just like framing my thinking about this subject. Um, I think one of the things that has happened just culturally as a result of some of the major tectonic shifts we've talked about in, in every episode mm -hmm. that have given us the culture we have today where homemaking needs to be recovered, right? The industrial revolution, a lot of these major changes. One of the things that's happened is that we have, you know, there's a lot more affluence and the in mass production of things mm -hmm. is very easy and straightforward, but it's also made it so that true artisanship or true artistry oh, okay. yeah. is, is lost. Yeah. So think about like how many, when's the last time that you actually met an oil painter? Who could, who could actually, yeah. so, so think about the cathedrals that were built out in these wildernesses in Europe. The people that did this glorious stonework, like gargoyles and did all that stonework, they were, they were blue collar workers. Yeah. And there were hundreds of them that were able, that had learned this trade. They knew how, how it was done. They knew how the stone worked. There were oil, you know, studios of oil painters under a master. So you look at something like the Sistine Chapel. It wasn't all, or, or other large frescoes. And they weren't all produced by the main artist. He had a mm -hmm. whole studio of young students. Yeah. And they would help him and they'd be laying the plaster. And mm -hmm. frescoes are called frescoes because you literally had to paint right on the plaster as it was at a certain stage of its moisture still in it. So someone's laying fresh plaster and... There were, there were whole industries and whole uh, schools of where people would be learning actual skill and art. And then mm -hmm. all the way down to the home yeah, where I'm, it wasn't all this highbrow. That's where it became arts and crafts, like it, I was it saying. Was, it was ex yeah. normal for, yeah. for a home for uh, um, the ladies to know how to cross-stitch mm -hmm. and make wall hangings mm -hmm. or spin, mm -hmm. create beautiful clothing My and spindle came fabrics. in the mail today, by the way. <laughs> Did it? It did. Based. Uh, you can support the show by getting a based <laughs> blessed mug at com slash bright dash hearth, by the way. Anyway. I, Van Loon talks about the people in the Middle Ages and how we'll never be able to understand their mind by just trying to consume what they consumed. Yeah. Well, the only way we'll be able to understand some of these great Christian artisans of the past is if we take up the habit of being producers ourselves. Uh-huh. You know, maybe it is highbrow art for you, but maybe for for the mom, it is literally just learning how to lattice a pie correctly. Like, yeah, you know, so that was very, very, um, I don't know. That just was like kind of paradigm shifting and like warning to me of don't consume too much without producing something. Yeah, there's there's something that is uh, humanizing about actually yeah. producing something. Yeah, learning the the craft and the trade, or even like um. You know, I've been playing around with those acrylics. Yeah. And I'm horrible at it. I'm, I've, I've sure. never considered myself a visual artist of any kind. I've always liked writing. Okay. So, yeah. but I, I was telling Janie because Janie's also playing around with painting. Mm -hmm. 
I was saying, if I'm never good at this, I'm at least going to respect the painters that I'm studying more because I know how hard it is to blend paint now. Yeah. And I have no clue how they can do it. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And and what we've been trained to do in our culture is to consume, 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 consume as the path to satisfaction and joy. Yeah. Where it's like, I want something. I see something. I've marketing is literally doing this to you. I I see Mm -hmm. something. I want something. I buy something. I have something. I use something. I'm bored. Yeah. You you have to break that. Um, cycle of manipulation that's what it is it is so much more satisfying like for a man it's so much more satisfying to make a, a mediocre table out of wood that he actually did the work he figured it out he youtube asked his dad asked to help me out than it is for a man to have given to him mm-hmm. a table that is better than the one that he yeah. that he made so part of what christians can learn to reject in embracing a culture of true beauty and artistry in, in architecture and decor and mm-hmm. all of these things in crafts and in the home is actually rejecting that culture. They're saying, no, this is not how people were made to be. People were actually made to find satisfaction in, in the name of God, it, bearing the image of God, taming wilds, taking dominion, taking resources in the world and turning them into other things, yeah. which is an act of actual um, asserting of your human will and humanity on mm-hmm. raw materials. Yeah. We were made for that in, in both masculine and feminine ways. And so when you just wholesale receive this cultural view of see something, want something, buy yeah. something, consume something, get bored with something, you, well, I mean, you, you are actually losing a part of your creational humanity Mm -hmm. you're losing a part of and so no wonder that we have people who have more things than anybody in human history has ever had and are depressed yeah and on prozac yeah and miserable so so art is a part of this recovery and it actually i think one of the things that has been a hallmark of your study and what's come out as i hear you narrating this and talking to me about it is that this actually takes work yeah. <laughs> this actually takes work. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. Like talk because I think the culture one one aspect of this culture because nobody's good at making anything anymore. Mm-hmm. It, but we're also this self-esteem culture. Oh. What we okay, do is yeah. we're like, "Oh, that's so good. You did so good. Uh, that painting is amazing." Mm-hmm. And it's actually terrible, and everybody knows it's terrible. Or you've like done some modern art, you've arranged triangles, you talked about that. Anyway, talk speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so I think we I think a lot of people can, they don't want to humble themselves and admit, maybe I'm just not as good at this as I thought I was. Um, and like I said before, when we had a small home, I've always been very eclectic. I guess you could say that that is the word I've used. Uh-huh. Um, my early childhood was definitely shaped by like early American Amish shaker style in general. I've always really liked that. Um, it's easy in some ways because it's kind of basic and it's easy to thrift. It's easy to afford to do that. But when you have a bigger space, I realized like I cannot just thrift shop this whole thing. That's not going to work. So I guess I would just kind of make a case for people that we, if you really are like God has genuinely given some people genius is the word that we use in the arts. Some people are just naturally very good at something. But something we're forgetting is that even the geniuses in the past were geniuses because there was a lot of rigor in study, even when they weren't yeah. feeling inspired to do it. So um, when you remember that and when you realize that, you can, you can take your uh, decorating and design up a notch if you're willing to just study a little bit more, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. So I don't think I've ever been good at this. I don't think I'm like a genius when it comes to this at all. But you can you can improve upon it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. This is how people used to do it. People used to study it on a very regular basis. Even the best of the best used to study it. So like in Francis Schaeffer even says like the idea of the bohemian artist who is not rooted and grounded in yeah. working hard and studying, that is that is a modern worldview thanks to Rousseau. And yeah. that should as a Christian Somebody who's not willing to get rooted in study and excel in their art, we need to reject that as Christians. Yeah, it should actually offend us. Correct. This idea. The bohemian artist. Yep. 
it's that Rousseauian noble savage, yeah. like come back to nature and your natural instincts and that will be glorious. Yeah. And, and actually no, um, what we're talking about with Christian dominion is grace, taming, transforming and perfecting nature, mm-hmm. not yeah. just like brute instinct, yeah. you know? So it, I think of it like, um, modern free verse poetry is a good example. Yes. That's what I was There is too. such thing as good free verse poetry. And there is such thing as good poetry that breaks some of the traditional rules of poetry. But the poets who are actually great at that, the vast majority of cases, they were deeply studied in the forms. Mm -hmm. So when they broke a rule, they did it on purpose. And you were supposed to notice. You were supposed to go, that last line had the wrong number of syllables. I wonder why. But somebody who's always relying on being eclectic doesn't necessarily know any of those rules yeah they're just pasting things together from well and as i've studied design books i've realized the reason the eclecticism looks so good is because they're following like two basic principles across the board yeah and they're way better at it than yeah we're not even saying like you can't mix together different oh textures and and that's that's actually a a big feature so what are some of the traditions the artistic traditions that you've resonated with that you've enjoyed and like design wise yeah like design like english and you've you've described different traditions yeah so i there's kind of like four big ones english french um italian and american Mm -hmm. i like english because it's Mm -hmm. um when it comes to decorating the house, I don't want it to, I want you to feel welcome, yeah. but I don't want it to be overly masculine. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think my personal opinion is that a lot of the time the French tends towards feminine, very feminine. Yeah. And airy. Yes. Like curly, a, lots of like, um, yeah. is that, I think that's where it, like Edwardian furniture comes from. Your mom. Yeah, I think my she mom would and my grandma more. both really like, yes, when I was studying it, I was yeah. like, this is what my mom's style is. She's really yeah. good at that. And I think that's why it actually took me a long time to figure out what my style was because my mom is so good at that. Yeah, she is. That when I would think about home decor, it was like, I, that's what I'm used to, but it doesn't like jive with me. So yeah. anyways, um, and to be very frank, books have to be a part of our decor. There's yeah. no way around that. And that really does play toward the English style. And um. And so when I kind of laid that out with you, it was like, hey, these are the few styles. Which one should I be like diving into to make sure I don't want to be studying something that you're going to hate? Yeah, she doesn't want to make the home inhospitable <clears throat> to me. Correct. In my tastes. And that was also the one that you were like, yeah. I love this the English it. style. So for me, and then it, it, for all of these, then you go like, well, do you want French country? Do you want English country? Do you want Italian country? Do you want American country? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want, so you have to, then there's like traditional American, traditional French, traditional English. Anyways, I just tend towards the English in general. Yeah. So, and and I what one thing I like about the English tradition, and if you're unfamiliar with this, you might. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna actually talk about some of the resources that have shaped these views in our. Uh, we call this patron exclusive show in the kitchen. So it's like a short practical show. We'll talk more about this, but one of the things that I like about it is that it does have range between the masculinity and the femininity. And I really like that. There yes. are English, yeah. there are aspects of English uh, decor, architecture, style, art that are very masculine. Yes. Yeah. And, and there are aspects of it that are clearly feminine. Mm-hmm. And I like how they come together in the home and kind of demonstrate that the home isn't. Whereas some of the French, <laughs> I do find it to be a little airy fairy. Some yeah. of it is, and you know, some of it's masculine, but if you've seen like, uh, when, when my family was going through the Euro camp, we moved from England, from Ohio to England. And then when we were moving back to the States after a few years, we went on a, like a tour of, of Europe. And I remember some of the, the French gardens and estates, they're just ridiculously over the top, ornate, airy. Well, and really climate plays into that a lot. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of the stuff we forget over here in America because we're so removed from that. Yeah. But literally the arts are so different from the North and the South in Europe just because of the climate and the ways of life. And like the people of the deserts didn't have paintings. That's why they are all tapestries because they could fold it up, stick it on their camel and keep on going. Yeah. They're nomadic. Yeah. And the other thing that's cool about British um, is that they're kind of the one of those three European streams, they're kind of the one that was a little bit more of a, it was a little more eclectic, I guess you could say, because they had, because of where they were located, there was more access to Asian, um, Turkish, 
all of those. So you yeah. you get that a lot more in the British. It it is more eclectic, is what I'm trying to yeah. say. It like Turkish and French doesn't necessarily mishmash, uh-huh. you know. But and, and all I mean, just think about even the British Empire, correct? And well, what it, was exactly. coming into this correct. island because of yep. their trade. Yes. Uh, so one thing I think would be important for us to talk about specifically, you've talked about. Um, I've heard you say this to women. Like I've literally overheard you talking to ladies about this stuff <laughs> and saying like, yeah, hobby, we should oh. ditch hobby lobby. Like, what is it about hobby lobby that you're objecting to? And that, and again, like as with all the things we're talking about, we're ta- we make progress in these things. We don't expect you to have like, Oh, Oh great. I'm, I have, I do have $50,000 lying around to read, renovate my <laughs> no. entire home in the English country style. Lexi <laughs> no. said I should. Oh my gosh. Husband. He you know, said I, that I should. I, d- I do want to comment on this is this does take time and it does take money. Yeah. And because of that, as a homemaker, you have to focus on contentment. Yes. And because in some ways I've heard Lori, do you remember Lori Wilbert Ferguson? Yes, I do. She used to talk about this a lot, and I, I don't, she's a little woke now, but I really, <laughs> really, really loved how she always talked about decorating your home is like sanctification. You have yeah. to be patient with the process. Mm-hmm. You have to be patient with the layering. You have to be patient with the searching and the watching and the stuff like that. So yeah. I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. Absolutely. We pick like, this. <laughs> okay, we have a four by four section of wall over the piano. Yeah. We're going to focus on. Yeah. For the next yeah. six months. That's what we're going to be doing is decorating the piano area. <laughs> and because we can't afford to be like, you, do you know how many no. oil paintings I want to buy you guys? <laughs> like uh, all of them. <laughs> I was looking at one of this painter that was known for his paintings of chickens. Oh, that's cool. They're so good. I mean, I think he was a Dutch painter. Just amazing oil paintings of chickens just lively the <laughs> colors are beautiful chickens are actually beautiful when you they think are, about yeah, it they are. chickens in the, the yard chickens in the and and i was like i need one of these how, how much is it oh it's six thousand dollars well in the another reason and then my soul died a little bit i really recommend people like studying and learning like art and illustration is because then you can actually figure out what you like mm-hmm. so you can spend money on something that you like yeah you know yeah so make sure you're not like hearing us say, who you must, and we'll talk about snootiness in a, in a minute here, but. Sorry, what was your question? Well, my question is, so, and, and let me frame it this way, I guess, Hobby Lobby. Okay. Um, like one of the things you'll notice if you go to Hobby Lobby, you could probably do some fine decorating with things at Hobby Lobby, I'm sure, like whatever. But a lot of the things you'll find at like Hobby Lobby styled stuff mm-hmm. is like a lot of wall hangings mm-hmm. that have like cutesy fonts that mm-hmm. say stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I recently, uh, I've, there was an architect on Twitter. It was either an architect or a professional designer. And she was in a, like a wrath of non type. Okay. Recommend. Yeah. So traditionalist, uh-huh. like understood had, has done the work like you're mm-hmm. talking about. And, uh, she was comparing two pictures of a front door and she was saying like, don't do this, do this instead. And on the left, there was a picture of a front door and it had all these, like it was a covered porch and it had all these pictures from Hobby Lobby that were like cozy um, come on in, uh, like, uh, oh, our family, the, you know, like where, where love happens, you know, like all these, <laughs> and, and she was like, and it was astute because she wasn't trying to be rude or just dunk yeah. on somebody. And then she showed a picture of a front door that actually <laughs> looked cozy. Yeah. And oh, the, cool. the, the picture was saying, come on in. Like yeah. it didn't have that on the wall, but there was something about looking at this front door, the way it was put together. Mm-hmm this entryway mm-hmm. that you look at it and you wanted to go in and you felt welcome and you felt cozy. So she was saying Americans today, a lot of the time we buy things that say the stuff we want people to feel in a room or in a space. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so it says <laughs> like, think- it'd be like putting up a, a picture that says <laughs> teeth brushing instead of just brushing your teeth. <laughs> I think this is because we're so lazy as artists that we're super into typography right now. <laughs> Yeah, like typography. Okay, I don't. I have no idea how to like use those fancy cursive pens or anything. So Uh, I'm not saying that I'm good at this. No, you're not talking about like calligraphy is a real art. No, calligraphy is a real art. That's what I'm saying. But, um, but I do think that's why we're like so obsessed with saying. But typing cozy in lavenderia (laughs) font, and applying a texture brush to it is actually not art. So that's part of why (laughs) I don't really like the Hobby Lobby thing. The other, the other like analogy I was using was in terms of. Again, in terms of educating our children with these beautiful surroundings, I really am convinced that a less is more yeah. approach is good with high quality things. And I was even thinking about um, what's an Anthony Eslin book we're just I'm reading that you just finished. 
Oh, uh, in defense of boyhood? Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. in there, he was talking about how the only books he had that he read over and over and over again was the World Encyclopedia series and the yeah. Childcraft series. Yeah. And I was like, I w- it was just a good reminder of like simple but good quality can produce people like e- Esselin. And nobody you know? was like, man, it's too bad Esselin didn't have all of the yeah. board books that we had. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad Esselin didn't have Little Blue Truck. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You know Little Blue Truck if you know what I'm talking about. So I guess in terms of like um, Hobby Lobby, I think I called it junk food art earlier. Sure, yeah. Was It's just not as nourishing to the soul. Yeah, and it peddles in, it peddles. So one of my rules, I think this is actually a good rule. I haven't studied this as deeply as Lexi has, uh, but I, I do have preferences that are very much aligned, like especially that have grown aligned. You and I have come at this from different directions, but and, we and ended up in the, the same, same place. place. Yeah. yeah. So I have a rule and I, I tell Pastor Dan this all the time. Uh, whenever I see this, like somewhere we go, you know, we, maybe we have a, a meeting at a restaurant or something, we're meeting somebody and And whenever there's a design or architectural material that is something pretending to be something okay, else, yes. like yeah. one of the things that I want to out, like if I were king for a day, and I could just make decrees. I would mm-hmm. say you're no longer allowed to glue fake bricks to OSB <laughs> sheathing yeah. for a building to pretend like it's a brick building. Or you're not allowed anymore to have um, like tiles pretending to be wood. Yeah. Or so Hobby Lobby is like 98% this style of design that is fake. It's fake stuff that's Correct. cheap and mass manufactured that's pretending to be something that it's not. Yeah. Like I'm going to use this like whitewash paint technique to make it look like it's i don't know like an old wall and like it's not an old wall though like old walls are really cool do you know how yeah. you get an old wall build a wall now and wait build a real Again, wall we don't want to wait and just wait time. yeah like you're you, you're not gonna like olive garden is not tuscany there's a reason <laughs> if you go to tuscany or you go to italy in the countryside it doesn't look like Olive Garden. Olive Garden looks like, you know, if you were to, you know, sometimes you've seen those bad tattoo fails where someone's like, here's the picture I asked them to make the tattoo of, <laughs> and then here's what they tattooed on my body, and it looks just like a deformed monkey, and it was really like a picture of their grandpa. Mm-hmm. That's what so much of our, and if people just took the time to read a book, learn, yeah. and then go slow, and understand they're going to, like, go real slow, things yeah. cost more, yeah. um, they would actually cultivate a human environment that's durable often human scaled people can actually live in it and it's beautiful yeah i was really surprised when i was reading um about the greeks sculpture those yeah the greek sculptures in the arts um by van loon he was saying that they did mass produce sculptures mm-hmm. in yeah. basically like a manufacturing type yeah. of a setting yeah but the thing about why it worked is because it was real they stones were, they were artisans <laughs> yeah, yeah it was re- yeah it was real people it was not right. it but but it was like everybody could have the same sculpture in it, their yeah. house if they wanted but it was made out of real materials by a real person it was an injection molded plastic correct it was someone actually had to have skill to do this and the thing is like you most of us can tell the difference when we're actually handling no. or touching something like a table well, i mean some of us can but that's part of the problem yeah. is i don't think most of us not all of us can but i think most of us what i mean is most people actually react to like take a table that's made out of real word wood versus a table that's like inch and a half oak and that's what it is and then if you're eating at a table that's an oak veneer and it has mdf mm, under it, it's cheap yeah. most people <laughs> i know would de- would actually over time they would prefer the real oak table and they yeah. might not be able to explain why but they do. It's there's true. something because it's it's stable, it's solid, it's human, it feels right. There's there's a, a and and so much of our art is just let's have a lot of bad stuff there was that three it was like a three-part essay i i don't know if you remember me sending it to you but it was just like basic tweaks you could use in your home to go back to classical architecture essentially Mm -hmm. do you remember that um vaguely okay but he was talking about how people always say it's it's more expensive to do it this way and he actually broke down costs on multiple um architectural projects doing it modern with cheap yeah. Affordable, oh, yeah. quote unquote, affordable material versus older classical styles with real materials. And it was almost always the same price, but uh-huh. it was always cheaper to maintain it for the, the long, long run. run. Yeah. So that was really interesting to me. And I, I do not remember the name of this book, but I have a, a book on 
like homemaking, I think it's like French country homemaking or something. But when I read it, it just dawned on me, the author didn't even say this, but I'm like, the reason these homes are beautiful is because they're real brass knobs. They're real wood floors. They don't, and they literally, these homes aren't even filled with art. It's just real materials. And that's something we'll talk about in the, uh, in the, the, in the, in the kitchen episode. Yeah. So Think about that. Wrath of Non, we've mentioned him a couple of times. He's a Twitter account you should follow if you're on Twitter. He's on, he, well, he does quotes on um, Instagram, Instagram, but okay. they're really good quotes. I'm not really on Instagram much. Similar so stuff. Yeah, so he, he's, he lives in Japan, but he's very knowledgeable in the world of architecture and traditional architecture. And, mm-hmm. um, but he, he's done tweets in comparison of, like, modern architecture and art is also very expensive and inefficient in the sense that sometimes it would it would cost more, for example, to make a house with a triple masonry wall of real bricks than it does to make an OSB sheathing modern house, stick frame, and then glue fake brick on it. Yeah. But but when you actually factor in the longevity, like you talked about, mm-hmm. but also when you factor in, do people actually like to be there and use it? So yeah. why why build something? A lot of public works, like public train stations, public government buildings that Ugh. were built 100 years ago or yeah. 200 years ago were beautiful. People still deeply want to be there. People will spend way more money to rent a shop in yeah. one of those and, mm-hmm. and have their storefront there than in a crappy mass-produced building built in the 60s by engineers and not architects. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, you actually end up spending a lot more for its usefulness. If you were to factor in its actual usefulness for people. People don't want to spend, like, all the libraries that people build now, they're so garbage. Which is funny, because I think, if I remember correctly, Heather and I were talking about this a lot, because, you know, she's an architect, and she was kind of saying that people at her college assumed that if you were into classical architecture, it was because you hated the earth. If I'm remembering correctly, <laughs> it, which is funny, because uh, now that I know more about it, I'm like, so stupid. you so have wrong. no idea. Yeah. That plastic you want to build this siding out of is definitely not going to biodegrade. And when you factor <laughs> in the reality... That like there was an example Wrath of Non tweeted about a modern architect brutalist building that was built like maybe 40 years ago and it costs, you know, it was supposedly a green building and it costs, you know, a couple hundred million dollars to build and they tore it down last year because because it. Nobody, literally, it was empty. You can't use it for anything Nobody would use it anymore because it's such a hideously soul-crippling space (laughs) that no one wants to actually be there. And that's where I want to start crying because the world could be different with a few different choices. It could be so beautiful. (laughs) When you look at uh, villages or towns in Spain or in in Europe that are walkable and small and that are human-scaled, that have been there for sometimes centuries and even over a thousand years, these communities... People want to be there because we should do a whole episode on city planning because I know you have a lot of thoughts, but I also have a lot of thoughts coming out of yeah, a large family perspective. Because as a cult leader, my dream <laughs> is to start a commune. No, but not really. I'm not a cult leader. It is something that a lot of guys here, yeah, we, think we and desire. talk a lot about. So we yeah. would deeply love to buy a hundred or two hundred acres in Morgan, which is in Utah, uh, not far from us, but it's a little more rural. And build a planned community yeah. that has a town square. Totally doable in the U.S. Walkable street and then more um, green spaces and plan a whole community, town square, church, school, like plan it. So anyway, um, we're, 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 I hope this is actually helpful because a lot of this is what our main goal here is just we would hope to spur you to want to look into this more. And yeah. think about this as an art to recover. So let me let's just end with this final question. Mm-hmm. How would you answer the objection that what you're describing is snobbery? Or even like there are certain traditions within the reform tradition that we're in, like the Puritans, oh, yes. that okay. were actually like they advocated for austerity and like they weren't too into art. And I would actually argue that even their austerity was beautiful because yeah. it was made of real stuff. And like yeah, if you look at one of their supposedly austere well, like country churches, stuff, it's beautiful. The shaker stuff is gorgeous. Yeah. People call it austerity, but it's actually just simple and yeah. glorious. So, but what would you do? What would you say to somebody who said, hey, <laughs> You might as well talk with a British accent because it sounds like you're just a bunch of snobs. Well, like, for one, I just genuinely have an interest in this. I I really try not to be snobby. I just yeah. am genuinely interested in it. And it's, it is one of those things. I was sitting there thinking about this today. As you told me, hey, this is what we need to talk about. And I pulled out all my books and I just was like, why do I love this? I've always loved this. Why? It's because it makes me long for heaven. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at making art, but there is a feeling of nostalgia that I get. So well, I guess what I'm trying to say is people who like this stuff aren't genuinely aren't always trying to be snobs. Okay. Yeah. But the second thing is, um, most people, I mean, I guess I haven't really interacted with a ton of people. I can think of like one or two people that 
have been like, hey, I don't really like the way you're saying that. Um, and oftentimes it's like they just, they haven't been willing to do the work of humbling themselves to learn from the past. Sure. Like uh, some people, I think I've heard people object, not, you know, not necessarily specifically to you, but object to the, like, why are you bagging on modern art? I like the shapes, like Parks and Rec, Tom, have heard when he's <laughs> like, the shapes. Yeah. That reference was probably meaningless to most of you, which is okay. <laughs> I like modern art. It's just a matter of preference. Like, why would you say there's such a thing mm. as a bad poem or a bad painting? And it's like, I think people sometimes fail to understand that connection of mm. worldview, of that modern art, modern architecture, brutalism, uh, abstractism, a lot of these things are literally rooted in a rejection of law, tradition, of rules at all. And actually, they come from a place of viewing rules as, yeah, as, so like that book you're holding up, we're going to talk about it in the, in the after, in the, in the kitchen episode here. But um, it's like, the, what that's rooted in is a human instinct of hatred of God mm -hmm. and of his beauty as the objective standard. And so here's the thing though, hold up, show any, 12-year-old who doesn't know a thing about any of this. Mm -hmm. Show him Storm on the Sea of Galilee by Rembrandt mm -hmm. and then show him one of those abstract color splash paintings that you can get at Ikea and hold them up next to each other and say, which one would you prefer? And sometimes a kid will be like, oh, look at the pretty colors and the shapes. You'd be like, yeah, God did make the world beautiful colors. That's true. Yeah. Most of them, though, will be deeply enthralled with the picture of the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. They'll look at it. They'll want to be there. They'll, they'll be moved by it. They'll think about the emotions of the people there, the textures. It's like I remember as a kid seeing paintings of castles or even visiting yeah. castles in England. And it was like it awoke this yeah. desire in me to explore and to, to know and to build and to like actually... Mm -hmm put myself into it and the shapes and the colors mm -hmm. might they're just they're shapes and they took no skill yeah. and i don't know if you've noticed but i save a lot of this reading for the weekend because i i know i can get lost in it and it feels very inspiring and so i want to go back into my work week essentially with this feeling of i have a beautiful vision now to go love my family well yeah and to pursue something this week so well, thanks for listening in, guys, on this episode. Again, if you'd like to help us continue to uh, make this podcast, devote the time into it that it takes, uh, you can head to patreon.com slash bright hearth, and uh, you can help become a supporter, get access to that uh, in the kitchen show that we do just for patrons there, and there are also all kinds of rewards that you can get for jumping on there. Thanks for listening in, guys. Give us a, your most honest five-star review wherever you're listening, and we hope that you'll join us next time at Bright Hearth. <laughs>